Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, but real quick before we get to them, I have to tell you about Certified Piedmontese because this is a brand I am so excited about. In fact, I will never forget the first time I had Certified Piedmontese. The crown jewel of my initial visit to Casa Bovina was a beautiful rib cap that was so lean and tender, it was almost silky in texture. The moment that beef hit my taste buds, I was hooked. These animals are raised all natural on a network of family ranches across the Midwest, so Certified Piedmontese is able to cut out the middleman and buy directly from the source. And while I highly encourage you to check out Casa Bovina, you can savor this beef at home, too. Whether you order off Piedmontese.com or by calling one 800 414-3487, your purchase will be shipped directly to your front door. Plus, when you use my discount code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, you get 25% off your order. How can you beat that? So what are you waiting for? Get some steaks, burgers, bacon, or other meats and experience the certified Piedmontese difference for yourself today. And now, to my guest. Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and this is a very exciting episode for me today because I finally get to feature and learn about one of my favorite foods that I haven't even touched on this podcast yet so far. So I fell in love with banh mi sandwiches when I was living in Lincoln. There was this place called the Bonwich Cafe, and I'm guessing I ate there at least once a week, at least once every two weeks, probably once a week. Absolutely love that place. But much as I love Omaha's food scene, since I moved back to Omaha, I failed to find a place that could recreate that banh mi magic. It turns out it was in Bellevue all along, and I was just missing it. And that is at the banh mi shop. I've fallen in love with this place. The whole roster of sandwiches is awesome. And I am really excited to have the owner on the podcast today, Chloe Tran. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because we get to talk about banh mi sandwiches, which are just incredible. But I want to start at the ground floor because it's probably a, a, a type of sandwich that not everyone is familiar with. Uh, I, I would guess that people listening to this are usually pretty heavy foodies, so they might know. But just in case somebody's listening to this and they're like, what is a banh mi sandwich? I would love for you to just introduce it. What it, What is banh mi? Um, yeah, so a banh mi is... Down to the most basic concept is a is a ham and um, basically a charcuterie sandwich um, because it's based out of the French sandwich. You know, it's, it has a baguette and then um, different cuts of meat. Um, but then um, it was twisted in Vietnam um, to turn into something that is more suited for the Vietnamese taste. So the baguette, instead of like a dense French baguette, it was made into like a very light version um, that is crispier and more of like a hollow interior. Um, And then the French ham and pate, it was twisted with some Vietnamese spices like soy sauce, garlic, shallots, all that um, to be more suited to you know, the taste of Vietnamese people. And then um, we did uh, pickles, carrot, and radishes, which is very cheap and um, vest- like a very familiar vegetable to Vietnamese people. Um, pickles it and then throw it in there with some cucumber and cilantro just to lighten up the sandwich. Um, so the most basic 
banh mi is just that is um is a ham and sandwich with pate and mayonnaise and pickle radishes and carrots um and then later on there are more varieties to that and people start using different kinds of meat and fillings to the sandwich now i know that and we'll get more into your background uh as we get into the episode but i think we want to hit on this pretty early on is that you're you're from Vietnam, and this was something that you you grew up eating. And the reason that you opened the banh mi shop was because you moved here, and you were like me. You were like, "Hey, wh- where where is this? Like, I love this sandwich, and I can't find it anywhere. What is it about this sandwich that made it, that like made it so important to you to share it with other people?" Um, I think a banh mi sandwich is like a tacos to Mexican people or Hispanic people. It's a very basic you know street food that you find everywhere so i think it's a very big representation of vietnamese food um so when i came here you know there the lack of like a banh mi is for me is like i I can't find a taco Uh you know so i feel it important that people should know about a banh mi sandwich you know when it comes to their introduction to vietnamese cuisine Okay, before we get any further, I just I want to let everybody know where the Bon Me Shop is. If at any point you listen to this and you're like, these things sound delicious, I need to get one of these. The Bon Me Shop is located in Bellevue. It is just off the intersection of South Galvin Road and Harville Drive. Um, could be a little bit of a drive if you, depending on where you live in Omaha. It's about a 20-minute drive for me. I don't care. I will make that drive every single day. I made the drive last night. It was about a 50-minute both ways commute. Did not care one bit. And the sandwiches were still hot when we got home. So I was very surprised and pleased with that. So I think we've already gone too long without talking about the bread in this sandwich itself. Because banh mi actually is, it translates literally to bread, not, not the sandwich. It's a banh mi sandwich. Um, and you mentioned a little bit about, you know, it's lighter than a French baguette, but what are like the main differences? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear the term baguette, they are thinking of that, like kind of heartier, chewy French baguette, but that is not real. I mean, it's kind of similar in shape, but that's not really what we're talking about with a banh mi, right? Yeah. So I think uh, the relation to a baguette is mostly for the shape of it. Um, you know, it's a very like kind of long um, lock type thing. Um, but then for a banh mi, um, they start to shape it shorter just so it, it you know, it become more like a sub sandwich. Um, but since it's like originates from the French baguette, they still call it a baguette. Um, but relation wise, I, I think the ingredients are still pretty similar. You know, the concept is similar is is flour, water, yeast, uh, salt, sugar. Um, but in, in Vietnam, we have a lot of connection to the French cuisine. So um, that's why we call it a Vietnamese baguette. Now, you guys are making all of your banh mi fresh mm-hmm. every morning. And it is it is such an amazing piece of bread because even when you kind of know what you're expecting, it's still surprising because it it is so crisp on the outside. When you bite into it, you get that crunch, but it's so like airy and light. Like if you just pick up a banh mi, it feels like it weighs nothing. 
how do you achieve that where it, it you just you have this crispy exterior but it's so light and airy on the inside so in vietnam we pretty much call the banh mi bread uh, a crust bread <laughs> because i don't know i don't really get why but people in vietnam don't really like the interior of the bread really yeah so like later on maybe the new generation does but like back then when they first you know crafted this bread they're like well we only like the the crunchy crusty part we don't want any of the doughy inside and i think it's for economical reason as well back then you know because flour is i think mostly imported back then so it's a little more expensive to make bread that's dense and doughy inside um but the the banh mi bread in vietnam actually is baked until it's so crispy that when you take it out of the oven and you know right out of the hot oven and hit the cold air it like the crust just crack it's, it have like tiny cracks inside and in vietnam people like bread that crunchy i mean i like bread that crunchy um when we bring it here then it it is a little too crunchy for um our customers here uh so we we when we make the bread we dial it back a little bit you know so that we can customize it if a customer like it a little crunchier we toast it a little longer um but i think the most important part of the banh mi bread is the taste um which is kind of interesting because the taste that we're trying to achieve here is just the original taste of like a homemade piece of bread it's just the the wheat flour and the yeast um but here most bread is commercialized so they use a lot of flavors um to i, I i'm not sure what you know every store have their own recipe but the the original taste of just the wheat flour is what we're looking for and it's kind of hard to, to find um the french baguette mostly are still too dense for a banh mi um so it's kind of hard to find somebody who make the exact bread that i remember um so we we did end up having to like test out a lot of the recipe um thankfully i'm a longtime baker so i you know i have to go back and find you know what create this texture and uh, is it's a lot of trial and error so um but in the end we decide that well we are going to have to go through the harder path of making the bread every day um in our store it is very temperamental i guess um because because it doesn't have much of a interior it is so light so it, it's I guess it has a lot shorter span of freshness. Um it the crust changes with time and then the interior the how we slice into the bread it changes like with weather even. Um so it takes us a long time to really understand the bread as we use it, but I think for the taste it's more than worth it. Oh yes, it it tastes excellent. It tastes fresh. It's got that nice crispiness. You talked about, you know, you wanted to find somebody who could produce this bread for you, but but just no no local bakeries are doing that. What was the research and development process for you like? Even though you said, you know, you you have experience as a baker, but being able to recreate this this really special unique bread and produce it in mass, I'm assuming that that was something that took some time. What was that process like for you? 
Yeah, so initially uh, we were looking at like French bakeries, which we have some really great French bakeries in town. Um, but again, the the French bread mostly is, you know, their recipe is made for a denser, like crunchier, you know, baguette. Um, and then we were looking at some Mexican bakeries, which they have, I, I can't remember what the rolls are called, bolillo, I think? Yes. Yeah, bolillo. so the shape was is similar, but then it doesn't have the crust. It's more like a softer bread. Um, and then the taste is not there. Um, so we, we went and looked. For a few options, and you know, we realize that nobody's gonna, and especially when it's a smaller business. I mean, we just started at that point. We don't know what kind of quantity we're able to accomplish for you know their business purpose. So it's not really something realistic for them to to look into. Um, so I actually don't have the full version of like the complete version of the bread until we open for business. Um, because something that I realized is that the texture of the dough can only be achieved with a, like a commercial grade um, dough mixer um, because it just take that long. It's just take that much work um, to create that dough. So I, I did a few tests at my home kitchen and it turned out, you know, the taste was there. It's just the, the shape of it, the, you know, the complete version of the bread wasn't quite there yet. But I, I test a few recipes that I can find and then, you know, get to a point where we're okay with the bread, you know, to start out with. Um, and then it wasn't until the night before. No, actually, I was going to start a batch of bread the night before our soft opening. And then we realized that the electrical outlet for the dough machine was not the right outlet um <laughs> oh my gosh. yeah somehow in it, it got mixed up there so we called the contractor and we're like we're opening tomorrow you know we need this done asap so they came in the morning early in the morning and didn't get that outlet in until like midday like noon and we we're supposed to open at five so i did the first batch of bread, like the real batch of bread in the dough machine, like just hours before we were supposed to open. And thankfully, that's when I realized that, wow, we actually achieved what we needed, you know, with this machine. So the first batch of bread, the only batch of bread that came out that day was pretty much the the perfect batch that I needed. So from then we, you know, we figure it out as we go, but you know, I, I was pretty happy that we got the right bread on the first day. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't, I still don't know how I, I made it, but um, it worked. So <laughs> I know that opening there were a lot of struggles and a lot of frustrating things, like the thing that you just mentioned, like having the electrician have to come out the day of opening. Mm-hmm. But then you have, you know, something like that that happens where it's like, oh. Okay, something something's going right. We're doing the right thing. Yeah. So that's a nice thing to see. Um, you said something really interesting a couple minutes ago that I want to touch on real quick. When you were talking about the crunchiness of the baguette, you said in Vietnam, it is a it is a crunchier bread that's used. But when you came here, you realized all the American palate and the palate of Omaha's specifically didn't want it quite that crunchy. When you're 
creating a restaurant or a store that offers something that is so special to you back home? How do you decide when to make those adjustments to suit the palate and when to say, no, this is this is authentic. This is what I know. I, I have to keep it like this and I have to serve this. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, so I I came here for school since I was 17. So I have a little bit of time, you know, living here before I opened a business. And during that time, I find that it, a lot of people, like, want to try new stuff. Like, they, they want to learn about, you know, different cuisine. It's just when you grow up with with one thing, it's kind of hard to just jump right in and like some other things. Um, one thing that was like really stood out for me when I first got here was that chicken, the texture of chicken here, like people prefer chicken breasts and the chicken is a lot more tender. Where in Vietnam, we're used to chicken that's a lot chewier. We like, you know, more dark meat. Like the breast is actually the part that nobody wanted in Vietnam. Um, and we, we like chicken that's been, you know, worked out and the meat is like really chewy and we think that's good. That's our standard. And there, there's a lot of different reference, you know, here compared to how, uh, what I'm used to in Vietnam. And I, I found out that there is just, there, there's not really a good way to just make somebody like something that they didn't grow up or not used to, didn't grow up with or used to. So um, I learned that it's easier to introduce people to something slowly and then amp it up rather than just throw it out there and say, you know, this is... Take it or leave it. Yeah, take it or leave it. So on on the crunchiness of the the bread, you know, I realized that, you know, most people aren't used to eating bread with that kind of crust. So they don't, you know, they're not used to getting the top of their mouth scraped. I don't know why we like that, but we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> we, you don't have to explain why. It doesn't It doesn't matter. I, I, you like what you like. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I still don't understand because it, it hurts, but uh, <laughs> we, we like it. Um, but it's something that I figure out, well, you know, it's something that we can adjust. Uh, you know, if we just bake the bread at this point, you know, and then if customer like it softer we can adjust the toasting time if they like it crunchier we can just amp up the toasting you know i and i i'm i'm i love my toaster oven for that reason because um i think it's important that you know we achieve toast certain point as we like it you know some some things i like crunchier some things i like softer and i I feel is the same with how people prefer their sandwich. So um, I try to accommodate as much as I can because I think is there's nothing wrong with customers want things how they want things. You know, if, if we can deliver, then all the better. Then, you know, they can have our food. They can taste these flavors that they like and then also have it how they like it. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that that, that same thought is really displayed throughout your sandwich roster and that in just from talking to you and, and listening to you on other podcasts, you've talked about there's a very specific banh mi sandwich that is enjoyed in 
Vietnam and in Saigon specifically, and that is your number one sandwich. That's the special cold cuts. It's the one that you talked about already. It's it's ham, it's pate, it's mayo. But your sandwich roster has 14 other sandwiches on it, from meatballs to tofu to bulgogi to uh, grilled pork uh, to different kinds of chicken, like you just mentioned. So as you're building the restaurant and you're deciding what you're going to serve, how did you build out the rest of that sandwich roster? Yeah, so I, I'm i not sure why, but when I live in Vietnam, my scope of what a banh mi looks like is very narrow. Like, you know, just like I think for most of us in Vietnam, we're so used to that one sandwich um, that's available everywhere um, that we're just saying that, you know, this is a banh mi. And then the others, it's just, you know, there are different variations you find elsewhere, but it's not, like, the most common. But then I came across a more modern banh mi shop while I was working in Vietnam in 2015. Yeah, I, I, I went back for three months. And I was working for a, a company there as an intern. And um, we went to this banh mi new more like a banh mi cafe close to the company. And um, they embraced that idea of having a wider menu because I think they were catering more to, um, you know, foreigners that were working there. So I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a great idea to like have all these options in one place. Um, another reason I think most banh mi places in Vietnam don't do a variety is because they mostly street carts and they don't have the capacity to have all these different sandwiches. Um, but anyway, at that point, I was more open to idea of, hey, there's more possibilities for a banh mi than just this one ham sandwich. So when I you know, have the idea of opening a shop just dedicated to a banh mi sandwich. I'm like, well, we need to create more options for people. And, I mean, I still try to stick to more the more authentic flavors. Um, like, like the meatball sandwich is still a meatball sandwich that is originated in Vietnam. It's still a, a pork meatball that we have there. I mean, there there is a meatball sandwich like that in Vietnam. It's just not as common. Um, the shredded chicken as well is also my one of my favorite b- kind of banh mi in Vietnam. It's just not offered everywhere. Um, even the the most popular sandwich that we have is the lemongrass grilled pork. There is a version of that in Vietnam. Um, so I, I still try to st- stick with what I know, um, the authentic banh mi. I was just trying to bring the l- not as commonly known banh mi into our menu. And then along the way, you know, we have other banh mi that um, cater to certain customers like our tofu sandwich. There's, I don't think I've really ever seen the tofu banh mi in Vietnam. Um, but once we create that, then customers love it. So um, along the same line, we, you know, we try to bring something that – I, I know the less commonly known banh mi and then created some that is more familiar to customers here. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And we've talked 
pretty much all banh mi so far, and it's obviously called the banh mi shop, but there's a whole <laughs> second half of the menu that is just as integral to the restaurant's DNA, and that's your drinks. You've got all kinds of different drinks on the menu, specifically bubble teas and milk teas, but also slushes and lemonades. I mean, it goes on and on and on. <laughs> there are so many different varieties, and, and you can put boba in there. You can you can do all kinds of different things to customize them. Why did you feel it was important to have all those drinks represented on your menu as well, not just the sandwiches? Um, well, I think bubble tea is common in Asia long before – you know, it is here. So right. I, I grew up drinking bubble tea. I mean, the, the first version of bubble tea that I drank was literally just bubble tea, which is tea, and you shake it until it bubbled up. Um, <laughs> but it's really good because it's had to be a certain mix of tea. So I, I always love bubble tea. Um, so when I came here, that's another gap that was, you know, in the community. There's no boba places. So when... I was in still in high school when Thirsty opened up. I was like, wow, there's a bubble tea place in Omaha. And I remember going in there, and I was, like, one of the only customers in there because nobody knew what it was. And I think I talked to the owners a few times, and they said that the in the beginning, people would, like, walk by and look at their menu, and they have no idea what it was. Like, they're like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at the point of... You know, us opening our shop, uh, I think at that point, bubble tea just started to catch on. Like, people just started finding that out. And I think thanks to a lot of, you know, social media and they see it online and on TV. Um, But, you know, that was one place in Omaha. There's not really anything even close to Bellevue um, that offer authentic bubble tea. So it's another gap that I want to hit. I mean... As long, uh, also to feed my husband's addiction to bubble tea, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny because he he did not like bubble tea the first time I made him try it. Oh, really? Yeah, but now he's a big time bubble tea drinker. You he, won him over. Yeah, he uh, he's pretty addicted now. Um, it's kind of funny because he drink more bubble tea than I do now. So, <laughs> yeah, so I I think it's important to have that. Along with our business, I mean, you go along the same line, you know, is uh, one side is sandwiches and one side is fun drinks. And I think our customer like that combination and they come in for both. Mm-hmm. So I think that's um, when we create our business like that, it really bring that to Bellevue. That's something that Bellevue would never really imagine that they would have. <laughs> Looking at both the sandwiches and the boba teas these are things that are not only unique to Bellevue unique to Omaha but they're very important to you and your memories growing up when you're the restaurant industry is incredibly difficult um COVID aside and I know that that there were struggles opening there were struggles in the opening weeks and then obviously you know COVID hits that that's a whole new thing when you're going through the really hard times as a business owner how important is it to have like the knowledge or maybe just like the to be able to fall back on like the the thought that you're serving something that's so important to you like you know you're you didn't just open a business because of money you opened a business because you wanted to create something and share something with people how like when you're going through the tough times 
How much does it help to have that knowledge in your head? Um, I think it's funny because when we're going through a tough time, I think I'm a little more down on that than the people around me because I think when I even have any kind of grim thought about like why did I go into this, I think my husband and my customers are the one that remind me the most of like why I'm here because they're like, you know, you're Bellevue staple. Like you're bringing this to Bellevue that nobody even think of doing. Um, and it's it's just so important to see the to see our customer come in and how much they appreciate having that as an option um, in Bellevue for me, because, you know, I, I sometimes, yeah, it, the hardship of, of running a restaurant does get to you sometimes. Sometimes you you just doubt whether your product is going to take off or your product is going to be accepted or um, so, I, but in the long run, I definitely see how important it is to, to bring that part of the culture, you know, into the community. And I'm I'm glad now, you know, Bellevue, a lot of people in Bellevue know what a bon Me is and know what bubble tea is versus they would never go and try it if we weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's important for me as well to know that people know and love the culture and the food that I grew up in. Um, it, it's it's been really special to see it, to see customer you know, literally go to a different states or move elsewhere, and then they go seek out a banh mi and bubble tea because they had it in Bellevue. Well, yeah, well, I mean, that has to be an amazing feeling for you, knowing that there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of people in Nebraska, but Omaha and Bellevue specifically, who might have never had a boba tea or a banh mi, if not for you. You were the sole reason that they were exposed to this, like, food product. That that has to be an amazing feeling, right? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I, my my husband and my kids always joke that I just, I just love to share food, and I have to share food. Um, if you ask them, they always laugh because, you know, I, I like to make food for, for them specifically. And then before they can even chew the food, I like, is it good? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I like to do the same thing when I open the business because, you know, when I first came here and, you know, most people don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know what a bun me is. They don't, they've never even tried Vietnamese food. Um, they never try bold tea. So of course, you know, having conversation with them about that is not, you know, easy. So I think when I open a business and then make something that from my culture and then have people try and like it, you know, that's that kind of my way of saying, is it good? (laughs) Do you like it? Yeah, good. (laughs) Well, the fact that you guys, you just had your fifth anniversary, you've been open for more than five years now, I think the answer to, is it good, do you like it? Omaha and Bellevue resoundingly say, yes, we very much like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to, to see, you know, that more and more people just come in and, and, you know, assure me of that question. <laughs> mm-hmm.
Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. Did you know that just 1% of all cattle raised in the U.S. is Piedmontese? Or that this red meat is so healthy that it's similar in micronutrients to Atlantic salmon and chicken breast? Rare, healthy, and most importantly, delicious. That's a trio that just can't be beat. I'm so confident that you'll get hooked on certified Piedmontese beef like I did that I want to help you try it. When you visit Piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN, that's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, you'll receive 25% off your order. That's 25% off steaks, burgers, brats, sausages, and even bacon. Yeah, I said it. Beef bacon. It'll change your life. Use my promo code to score a great deal and experience why certified Piedmontese is such a big deal today. And now, back to my guest. All right, let's get into the backstory a little bit more. We, we've touched on aspects of this a little bit, but uh, grew up in Vietnam, moved here when you were 17, missed Bon Me. You didn't, there was nowhere to get it here. You were just like, man, I really wish I had this. When did the idea of opening your own Bon Me shop enter your mind? Um, so I, I always wanted to open a restaurant just because I'm like so into cooking. Um, but then, you know, when, when the business opportunity came up, um, from my family, they, they just have, they just have a sum of money that they want to do something with. And, you know, they wanted me to see if I can open a restaurant out of it. And I I have no idea how to build up a restaurant at that point. Um, I just know that this doesn't seem like enough money to build a restaurant, like a full-size restaurant, because I have some experience with a full-service restaurant is a whole different scope of work. I mean, it's it's so much work, especially if it's a Vietnamese restaurant, we have to create everything in-house. So I want to see if I can scale back down to like either a boba shop or a coffee shop or sandwich shop something smaller so that's how you know the idea of uh, just doing banh mi and boba tea came to mind that hey it's sh- it you know if it's just a sandwich shop it's something that i know i i love and i want to share um and boba tea is it gotta be simple enough and so that's where the idea hatch and I'm like well this is perfect you know we don't have a banh mi shop here and like you said you, you love banh cafe I, I love it too so I used to just drive to Lincoln and actually would buy like 10 20 of those sandwiches and like just have it in my freezer or something and mm-hmm. heat it up yeah they they were like they were good they were actually I, I was happy to find them I'm like wow like we actually have access to this here but you know I don't want to drive. 45 minutes an hour right. every, you know, every time I want it on me. So I'm like, well, it, it makes sense to bring it here. Um, I just had no idea how involved we're going to be in the process of creating it. So Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but as you're opening the shop, you were still in college, right? Yeah, so I was finishing up my second year in college, um, and then I took a year off to work on the project. Okay. So when I was finishing my sophomore year in college, I was, I've like barely even knew how to like talk to girls yet. Like <laughs> I can't even imagine opening my own business. I mean, did that, did, was there a part of your brain where it was just like, this is crazy. I have no idea what I'm doing. Is this the right thing? Or were you just so 
passionate about it where it was just like, no, I know I, I can do this. Well, I, I think I was mentally prepared for a long time about opening a restaurant because that's what I wanted to do for a long time. But I always thought that I would go, you know, go through college, work in the industry. I, I want, I actually want to work for companies that distribute food. And so I can have some more inside of the industry before I go into business. And I always thought, well, I better be like financially prepared before I pull the trigger. So it it does it did came as a surprise, but I was like, well, I don't know if the opportunity will come anytime again soon. So if I turn it down, I was kind of nervous that maybe it will be a long time before I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I go I'm like, well, I'll I'll do it, but I I think ignorance was bliss <laughs> <laughs> for me because I had no idea what I was really getting myself into. Uh, you know, uh, I had to figure out a lot of things along the way once we get into it. But once I have some sense of this is crazy, it's already too late <laughs> because the money is already spent and, you know, it's just coming out. So I just have to keep going with it. So, so you mentioned you were a, a home cook and home baker. Uh, you, you really enjoyed it. You had aspirations of being in the restaurant industry, but, th- but there's a big difference between cooking for your family or cooking for friends. And all of a sudden you know, I'm mass producing food that is being served to the public. How did you level up your culinary game to get ready for, to take that leap? Um, I think it, it's helped that I had a long time, like figuring things out. Um, I had a lot of time in the kitchen with fails, a lot of fails and, um, I have to substitute ingredients. I have to change things up. I mean, I I remember there was a time when I think I was twelve or thirteen. No, I was maybe thirteen or fourteen. Where I'm just obsessed with making this soft tofu. It's called it's like a tofu pudding, but it's made with uh, either GDL or gypsum powder. You know, but when I make that, I have to do the whole process from soaking the soybean making the soy milk to pouring it into tofu. And then it's, it's just very difficult to make. It's a dessert um, usually, um, but creating tofu is like so difficult, but I was like so determined to achieve it. I literally would make it every day for like a month straight. I, I would like wake up and like, okay, I'm going to try again today. And sometime it come out th- like that. Sometimes it doesn't, quite turn out and I can't even remember I was actually like was successful at the end I knew I was sick of tofu for a while (laughs) Um, but I'm not sure why but when it comes to food I kind of have that determination because I I want to find out how this works Um, it's more like a, a science experience for me and I don't know where it came from it's just it just kind of was that way the whole time since I started to taught myself to cook. So when it comes to the business, it was a little bit like that. It, it kind of remind me of my early days when I was really determined to do something. I'm like, I have to figure this out. Um, so I think it helped a lot along the way of trying to figure this out because I, I'm like, well, it's just another failure. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I can do it again tomorrow. So 
And in addition to that, I mean, a lot of people, when they think of owning and uh, operating a restaurant, they're thinking of, well, you got to make great food. And yes, obviously, if you don't make good food, you're not going to have customers. But there's so much more that goes into being a business owner. There's dealing with leases, there's building codes, there's inspections, there's payroll, there's hiring and training employees. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that goes into it. How did you prepare yourself for all those other aspects that didn't have to do with the food necessarily? Yeah, so when I when things start rolling, I and I mean I would I would relate the experience of opening a new business to drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> that it just came. It's just like, whoa, like your it's like your money is going out like like a waterfall. You just you, you're like, well, it's the money is definitely going out before you even see it hit. And then, you know, at the same time, you're trying to, like, absorb everything that's coming to you. Uh, I mean, it, it is overwhelming. Um, and especially when things that you never even thought about, that you're like, whoa, there's, like, there's this code? Like, you have to do this and that? And it, it was overwhelming. And I think it really helped me that I was in business school at the same time as the business was running. Because as I was trying to figure things out, um, I would, like, take entrepreneurship classes. And the one thing that I learned from my entrepreneurship class is that um, you're not going to know everything. That there will be, there will always be things that you have to learn the hard way. Because, I mean, it's, you know, if you're you in school for one thing and expertise in something, you know, you're not going to know necessarily every aspect of it you know so there will be things that you have to figure out along the way and it's I think it helped me to know that I'm not the only one that is going through this and once I accept that no I'm not gonna you know I don't know everything and I need I, I, I can't ask for help um from people who know better then it it's a little lighter load then I'm like well, you know, it's it's normal to not know, so it's easier to just admit that no, you don't get everything figured out. It's okay to go ask a a tax a CPA about how to do this or how to do that. Um, so it, once I figure that out, then I'm okay with the failures, I guess. I, I call it tuition. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm just learning it hands on and it, it might hurt a little bit, but you'll I, be better in the long. Yeah. Run I love that you call it tuition. That's kind of genius. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of look at it from a college, you know, you're, right. you either pay to go to a classroom or you're paying to learn on the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, if you learn, that's the whole purpose, right? Mm hmm. All right, so you learn, you're learning all this stuff. Take me back to November 16th, 2017. That is your first day open. We've talked a little bit about the electrician had to come that morning. You did the first batch of dough, but that was also the first time that you served customers that night. Just what do you remember most about that day? What sticks out? Um, probably that it was... It was overwhelming. It was because I 
The reason why I want to do a soft opening was because I didn't want things to get too out of hand. But then I underestimate how excited people were about this this business. It's amazing how soft openings rarely remain soft openings. They yeah. Be, they become just non-formal openings. It, I think soft opening is a good excuse for you to mess up and, pe- <laughs> yes. and, and, and people can't really hit you too hard on it. Hey, it's our soft opening. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, I told you it's going to be bad. <laughs> so, um, and but this, like, literally before we open at 5 o'clock, you know, at that time, like I said, we just got the bread. Uh, we actually burned a few trays, too, um, because we were so busy doing everything else. So um, the staff that we had at that time, you know, because the business was, was like, so rushed open because we were so, like, delayed um, of our, you know, schedule. We never really had time to, like, train everybody properly, like, officially. So it's the first of everything for everybody that day. Um, so we, we had a lot of things we didn't figure out. And once the door opened, I realized that I'm the only one who know what's going on because everything's in my head. Other people haven't really worked, you know, at it. They, you know, they can help me at things I tell them directly what to do, but they don't really know what does the whole process look like. So uh, when right before we opened, there were a line of customers just like waiting for that door to open. And I'm like, oh, no. Um, And I, I had like, I think like over 100 loaves of bread baked you know, just from that one batch. So I'm like, oh, it should be good. We only open for like a few hours, you know, and you can't you can't really go through that much bread. I think we ran out bread at two hours, like oh, wow. at about two hours mark. And, you know, because people were just like keep coming in and we were all like scrambled to like get things. I, I'm, I, I feel really bad because there's so much things that we didn't do right that day. Um, but for the most part, I remember people like walking up to me and say that how much they love it and it tastes so good, even with the long wait and things not being, you know, perfect. And I, people were very supportive, which I was very thankful of because I don't I don't know if I could have kept going without those encouraging words. Um, and then we had when we like got down to like the last trays of bread we have like a few trays that were like kind of burned they were really crunchy and customers still came in so i you know was telling them at the door like hey this is all we had left it's very crunchy i don't think you're able to eat this you know but they're like well we want to try it anyway so i'm like okay i'm i'm you know so i made them the sandwiches and i'm sure it cut their mouth open <laughs> but they said they love the taste and they'll be back so i mean at, at the end of the night you know we were running out of everything we didn't have we, i mean we clearly wasn't prepared for that kind of traffic so i was like i didn't know how i was gonna you know get up and do it the next day i, I really don't know how um we had to turn so many people away that came after we completely ran out of everything and, you know, we have to cancel our opening the next day and, you know, say that we need another day to regroup and open, do a grand opening a day after. 
Um, so yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know how uh, I was able to get up and keep doing it because I was like, I don't know what I did to myself. Um, this is hard. I don't know how I'm going to do it every day because we were actually open from 10 to 10 every day of the week at that time, which I don't know how that seems like a good idea. That's wild. <laughs> I, I don't, that, that's another thing. I don't, I don't know how it, it seems like a good idea, but I, I've learned that the hard way. Um, that's part of that tuition. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> that's expensive tuition. Yeah. And I, I remember like being like, so like strung out and like was under so much like stress and adrenaline dump that I didn't even feel hungry for the next week. Like I, I did not feel like I have to eat. I have, I just have to keep going. And I think after the soft opening night, I stayed until like maybe two, three o'clock in the morning trying to regroup and prep. And I was getting up and doing the same thing for the next few weeks and, you know, training staff and, Wrapping and uh, you know because at that point I was the only one who know how to do everything. So um, yeah, I think when that hunger strike finally hit after like a week of not feeling I I need to eat anything, I think I downed like a few burgers and a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) So you had some calories to catch up on. Yeah, deserved it. Yeah, I I remember like. My my friend who was, you know, my staff at that point was, you know, helping me out and it came in and was a little concerned and like, you, you look sick. You look a little sick. I'm like, no, I feel fine. And just shredding carrots away. And at that point we were like, you use a hand mandolin and just shredding the pickles at that point too. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was wild. <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I found... You've kind of touched on this, but I found an Instagram post that you had where you were looking back on that first night and you said, I was wondering why did I think this was a good idea a million times as I stayed up until 3 a.m. in the morning yeah. to clean up and do prep work. And I've I've heard that sentiment from a couple other restaurants on this show where, yeah, they have a soft opening or maybe it's even their first day open and they just get swamped and they get knocked out and then they're just laying in bed and all of a sudden that realization hits them that, yeah, today was kind of a celebration, like opening this thing, but now I got to get back up again tomorrow and do everything again. Mm-hmm. And then I got to do it again the next day. And that is just like a weight that just like hits them. Where did you find the strength to keep getting out of bed and keep keep showing up even as you're just, like you said, you're strung out, you're dog tired, but you keep showing up. Where do you find the strength to do that? Um, I think just like every other like first time business owner, you're you're kind of deep in, you know, you're you're pretty invested in this. Thing. You know, you're the thing is like backing out is messier than keep going. So once you realize that, you're like, well, it sucks, but I have to keep going because you know there's no backing out. You know, but at that point, I have a five years lease. You know, hanging right on my head, and you know five-year lease at that point seems like a big deal and you know the thing is I can't break the lease I don't have the money to deal with that you know so uh, how do you back how do you back down from that you know Mm. once you once you're in you're in so I think that's quite a motivation (laughs) to keep going because there's no 
there's no other option. Like one, once you choose this life, you're stuck with it for a while. So, uh, I know restaurant life is always crazy. It's never calm. But when did things start to slow down a little bit, where it was not so much craziness all the time, but it started to seem more manageable? And it's like, okay, I feel good. I can do this. Um, I think once you find your team, then things calm down a little bit and the initial hit the initial like flourish of customer it eventually died down I mean, eventually things get into a routine things get into you know where you have this many customers a day and you know and unless something irregular came up a holiday or something then you usually look at this many customers a day. So there's never, you know, people like lining up at your door every day. I mean, it, if that happens, it'd be great, I guess, but it's also <laughs> stressful. So once things slow down, then it's a lot easier because then, you know, you you go from having to worry about making two, 300 loaves of bread to 150 a day and everything shrink down. And then once you hire people that you can trust, then, you know, the load of work spread out a little more. Um, so I think as I as I go, things get a little easier to breathe. You know, now that my staff are trained, you know, our business slow down a little bit. I have time to like catch up on things. Um, then it then it seems like oh, you know, maybe it's it's doable. So. <laughs> Well, it's definitely doable. You've created something that now is sustaining and it's it's beloved. Um, you got an opportunity last summer to go back to Vietnam for the first time in seven years. What was that like for you? Um, it was it was interesting. I, I would say I think I'm just like so used to life in Nebraska that going back there it's everything was different. Like like the roads are so small, there are so many motorcycle, people are all speaking my language, I guess. Um, everybody look the same because, you know, we all have like the same tone of skin and dark hair. Culturally is different, lifestyle is different. It's, it was just so interesting for me because like my my point of view have changed. I mean, the, the way that I see food, the way I like prefer certain things have changed um it's really interesting um to see the the relationship between people and food there though um because it's so much different than it is here how so um i because i think there there has been a lot of like foreign restaurants that came into vietnam the past maybe 20 years, you know, like Korean restaurants, like fast food even. And fast food are considered a delicacy in a lot of Asian countries. Like McDonald's is expensive in Vietnam. Really? Yes. And Pizza Hut is actually a straight-up sit-down fancy restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, That's and, cool. Yeah. And, like, they, like, people take fast food a lot more seriously than they, like they do here. It's not like a, like a fast casual version. It's more like, Oh, I, I, you know, is another fancy restaurant to go to. Um, so it's really interesting to see that. And um, I, I think people in, in Vietnam, like, appreciate, like, they want to try something new. 
so they you know they would spend the money to go to restaurants like that just to try something new whereas when i came here i'm like vietnamese food is so great like why would you spend money eating at pizza hut instead of <laughs> you know a bowl far on the street so um i think i appreciate the the vietnamese food a lot more it's a little sad to see it like maybe because it is so common in vietnam like it's such a normal thing that people expect to pay a lot mo- of money for like a burger from mcdonald's than something that's really well made like vietnamese food that's like take a ton more time to prepare so i, I feel like i just i just wish vietnamese food is get the recognition it deserves I, i just wish that I can bring more of this authentic food to people and so they know and appreciate it and you know get get the worth out of it that it deserves so um I I don't know it, it's it's really interesting to see that in Vietnam. I would love for more Vietnamese concepts to open in the Omaha Bellevue mm-hmm. surrounding area and kind of bring that stuff to light and that's why I think what you're doing is so important is Again, like we talked about, introducing something very new and letting people experience something from a different part of the world. And no, like I'm not if I eat a banh mi sandwich, I'm not going to understand Vietnamese culture, but I get a little bit closer and I, I know a little bit more. And, you know, then I get to talk to someone like you and you can tell me about the crispy sandwiches and I don't know why, but we love it when our mouths get cut up <laughs> by the bread, like stuff like that, I, I think is just so fascinating and it helps so much to help us just as humans understand one another. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see some more Vietnamese places open up. Um, there is one thing I want to finish our conversation with this question though. You had an Instagram post about that trip and you were talking about it and, and the things that you enjoyed, but you said, But I did find myself missing banh mi from my shop, not only because the taste is authentic, but also because our banh mi has everything I love about a banh mi packed into it. How rewarding was that for you to kind of be able to reflect and and look back and say, this thing that I love, I'm able, I was able to create a version of it that now I'm, I feel like fully represents it so well. How rewarding is that? Um, it, it definitely is a, is a great experience. Um, the one thing I, I always wish that, you know, business owners, especially restaurant owners with, uh, more of like an ethnic food, um, concept is I, I wish that they are able to bring more of that authenticity into, um, their food because, and I think Omaha is doing a great job with that um because compared to like years ago when i first came here i feel like customers are more accepting of food uh, from certain culture being authentic and they not only that they seek the authenticity like they want to know which restaurant is the most authentic they don't want the watered down version um but uh, at the same time there are a lot of business owners who are afraid that their authentic is too authentic for their customers. So they they think for business purpose, they need to water it down. So when 
I decide to do my business the way I did, I think I take a, a leaf of what I think people should be able to taste. And, you know, because I'm like, well, if I'm going to open a business dedicated to this sandwich, I better make it the right one. I better make it the the one that I would eat and approve of. Um, so I think it's very rewarding to see that it was accepted the way it did. Um, and I think it's very encouraging to see that customers are not only accepting but seeking out the version of food from my culture that's that authentic. So uh, I think it's really it's really good for the food scene and is encouraging for not just me but other business owners to just make sure they they put what they want out there and people will will seek out and love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly why like we I mentioned earlier like before this podcast I wanted to come in and try the special cold cuts because once I learned that that was like the most <coughs> traditional, the most authentic, I was like, well, I have to try that. I want to know what the purest version of it is. And I think that this obviously doesn't apply to everyone and it shouldn't apply to everyone. Like everyone has different palates, but I think that that is becoming more of the mindset that people have. They just, they want to have that open-mindedness. They want to say, take me to a different part of the world. Tell me something about your culture that I don't know. And I think that that's something that's so special and it's something that you're helping them experience and that you're bringing to Omaha. So thank you so much, Chloe, for, for coming on the show today and for just going out on a limb and being a college student that opened a restaurant and going through all the hard stuff you did at the beginning. And I'm sure you you still go through now, but five years in, you're doing great. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. And I'm, I'm really happy to, you know, be here and share that experience because I, I think more and more people want to travel and learn other culture, which is great. And I think food is one of the best way to learn that so i mean you you can do it right here you know that just spark your interest even more and uh, you know if you you like food from certain culture when you go and experience that in in its own environment if they you know now if our customer go to vietnam that experience would even more special for them because they they already have a taste and interest in that so i i think it's really it's really awesome that to see our customers in our community like being so open to not only Vietnamese food but like so many different cultures right right so listeners whether you are a banh mi junkie like me or you're listening to this for the first time and you had no idea what a banh mi was an hour ago the banh mi shop in Bellevue that's the place you need to go you can go super traditional you can get you can get basically whatever your favorite protein is in a sandwich, you can get a boba tea, you can get a pandan waffle, which I highly recommend. We didn't even get a touch on that in this episode, but just go and order one. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have a good time. And yeah, I just, I can't say enough good things about this place. I'm a huge fan. Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.